Hey, Mind Fire Nation. Happy Thursday. This is Mackenzie here. Really excited that you're joining us for another episode of our podcast series. So today at Mindfire, it's almost like we're experiencing Christmas all over again, lucky us. Um, I'm actually looking at a bunch of boxes. We've decided to invest in some resources to build up a little internal uh, studio so we can bring you higher audio quality, which we're really excited about. As we said in our last episode, we're also going to be moving over to iTunes soon, so stay tuned for that. And we'll continue to bring you guys experts and insight into how to build sell and market multi-channel campaigns. Hey folks, today we're really excited because we've got CC Smith, CEO of Toolbox Studios with us, and CC has been leading Toolbox Studios for about the past 2 years. Before that, she was working with a family-owned commercial print company called Smith Print, and you're going to hear in today's episode how they created Toolbox Studios as a separate company from Smith Print to meet some of the needs of their customers. A really interesting story as to why they've done that and how they've gone about creating Toolbox Studios. Before Toolbox and before Smith Print, Cece had probably the hardest job on earth. She was mom of four kids for about 10 years. And before that, she was with Procter & Gamble for about 10 years as an account executive. So a, a lot of interesting experience that Cece brings to the table. So what you're going to hear today, like I said, number one, you're going to hear how CC created Toolbox Studios. And interestingly, the, the reasons behind why they created Toolbox Studios to meet the needs of their customers. Then number two, you're going to find out how she goes about finding customers, how they sell to those customers, and her magic number. Now, if you were with us in the last episode, you'll recall that Mike Wessner of Enrollment Fuel talked about his magic number, which is $50,000. And the magic number is essentially the number that makes sense for Mike and his team to engage a customer at. If, if a customer can't engage at 50000 then it doesn't really make sense for Mike and his team to get involved. And similarly, CC also has a magic number. You're going to hear what that is and how she goes about using that with her customers. And then lastly, you're also going to learn CC's perspective on how you, as a commercial printer, can motivate your sales team. If you happen to be in a print business, and have traditional print sales reps, CC is going to share some thoughts with you around how you can commission those reps and how you can motivate them to sell marketing services. So without further ado, let's jump right in and hear from CC. Hi, CC. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with us today. Uh, just want to jump right in. Tell us a little bit about yourself um, when you're not working. Well, I'm a mother of four and all boys. So I spend a lot of time. I've spent a lot of times on benches, watching football games, and doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm really just spend a lot of time with the family. Uh, I have a very extended family and like to travel and visit them, and like to drink red wine and mm. uh, cook. And uh, just I really just like spending time with people. I have a great dog named Hank that's a three-legged wonder, and so I spend a lot of time Aww. walking with him. And so I I love dogs, and he's a great. He's a great dog and a great friend and a great companion, and he comes to work with me. So that's a little bit about me. I'm just pretty simple. Family, eating, drinking. All the basics. <laughs> yeah, all the basics, all the things that mean a lot in life. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, Cece, I know that you've had Toolbox Studios for a while, and I'm just curious, how long have you been an entrepreneur, and can you tell us how you started and how you began this journey of entrepreneurship? Well, my husband, Barney, and I own a commercial printing company called Smith Print. My husband's been in the printing business forever. 
when we got married, I was working for Procter and Gamble, and the printing business was his, and I was in uh, marketing with P and G. When I decided to come back into the business after my kids were in school and all of that good stuff, we started uh, looking at the business and realizing that there was a lot of opportunities to uh, grow our business from commercial printing just to growing into offering other services. And with my marketing background and his print background, we just started growing this business. We started off very small as a broker. Then we bought it um, in 2007. We bought a, a small uh, commercial printing company, and then we've grown it and uh we're uh, probably about the fifth largest commercial printer in San Antonio. My husband and I just both had a dream of working for ourselves. And, you know, if you're going to work hard, you might as well work for yourself. And, and uh, that's how it happened. And then through that, um, when the marketing side of our, our marketing service providing for our clients on the print side started growing, I started a secondary company, and, and that's Toolbox Studios, so, which is a marketing and branding firm and web it's your husband had the, the print company first, is what you're saying? That was the initial company that, that you guys had? Actually, we started it together. While okay. I was working, okay. he, he branched out and he just started. And it's been wonderful ever since. Hard work. It's just grown every year and it's been a lot of fun. So was it customers coming to you saying they were wanting more marketing services? Or did you see it as, you know what, we do a lot of direct mail, hypothetically speaking, or we do a lot of printing, and now we want to start to bring these ideas to our customers? Was it customer-driven, or was it driven by well, your thought of expansion? That's a, that's a great question. And I'll tell you actually what happened. When I decided to come back into and start working in the printing company with my husband after, my, you know, after I stayed at home and had the kids and did that whole thing, um, my husband would say to his clients, oh, Cece does marketing. She can help you with that brochure. Or, yeah, Cece can help you with that. And it was like I was, you know, the bonus. <laughs> and I just started working with clients and never charging them for them. Finally, I said to my husband, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore unless we charge them. <laughs> and so from there, I started doing consulting and, um, you know, helping people design brochures and all of that. Then we bought an HP Indigo. It was our first digital press. And then... I went to DScoop and that's when I learned about cross-media marketing and when I saw what we could do with cross-media marketing on our HP, it just was mind-blowing what we could do and it just made me realize there was so much more opportunity out there other than just doing direct mail pieces or developing a static brochure. I realized that there was this huge need. So really it was started by our clients asking for help, me just being in the right place at the right time and then having the right tools to be able to launch us to that next phase where people weren't even aware of this concept of cross-media marketing, which then led us into, you know, we, we meet with people about cross-media marketing, and then the next thing you know is, well, their brand's terrible. So then they need help with their brand, and they need help with social media, and then they need help with SEO or their website. And it just, it became a conduit for us just to get in and, and help them with all of their marketing. And it's been, it's been an incredible journey. In, a, in addition to the Indigo, what other equipment do you have? We have, a, we have a full commercial printing company. I mean, we have Heidelbergs. Um, we have a full bindery. We do, uh, you know, we can do die cutting, all of that stuff. We also have a large format printer, uh, HP flatbed, and can do rolled and flat substrate. And then we have the Indigo, and we're just getting ready to add a half-size Heidelberg press. So we are a full-service commercial printing company. Awesome. So we have heard that you obviously do commercial printing and offer cross-media marketing. I think you mentioned SEO in there. Why don't you give our listeners a big you know, picture of all the different services you offer? My, you know, my husband now runs a commercial printing company, and I'm over here at Toolbox Studios, which happens, by the way, to be located on the beautiful Riverwalk. And my office overlooks the Riverwalk, so it's a beautiful location. And I bought Toolbox Studios 
um, from a friend of mine who established Toolbox Studios as a marketing and branding and website studio. It was just such the perfect marriage because Toolbox Studios did web, they did branding, and that's pretty much it. So it's kind of one and done. Yeah, let us do your brand. Okay, we'll see you when the next time you need to refresh it. They didn't do any marketing. So when we brought my marketing services from Smithprint and I bought Toolbox Studios, we blended it together so now the people that needed a website, okay, we help you with your brand, we do your website, now we're going to help you with SEO, we're going to teach you about that, we're going to teach you about social media, and oh, by the way, we can help you with your ongoing marketing, we can do ads, we can do cross-media marketing, we can do direct mail, we can, all of those Everything. Tools. You guys are a one-stop shop. We're a toolbox. That's fantastic. We're a lot of tools. Sorry for the pun. But. <laughs> <laughs> so our services go very deep. I have a, an incredibly talented crew with me. Um, I couldn't do any of this without them. But the one thing that I bring is I'm very strategically focused. So I work a lot with clients helping them develop their strategies. And um, not only their, their marketing strategies, but their business strategies, um, helping them go through a strategic planning process. And then that the beauty of that is that all their priorities that they need to do to grow their business, guess what? That's a laundry list of services that we provide many times. Some, some of them obviously not but many of them we provide. So it's just an easy conduit of learning a lot about the client fast, and then they feel so comfortable with you because you know them that they, they just trust you with all of their other work. It's, so the strategic planning is kind of the, uh, for many times, it's the entry point with our clients. So CC, over the past eight or nine years then, as you've been running Toolbox Studios and building out your business, what's the best piece of business advice that you've received you know, that's kind of helped you shape your thinking or change the face of your company? What comes to mind? I tell you what, it, it didn't come from a professor. It didn't come from a great speaker at any event I went to. It, it came from my dad. And my dad said, be willing to work as hard as what you're going to ask anyone else to do. Don't ask anyone else to do something that you don't want to do. I just really believe in working hard and learning and, and continuing learning. And, and that's what my dad taught me. If you're going to ask somebody to you know, scrub the floors, you better be willing to scrub those floors with them. Really, I guess that basically comes down to leadership, uh, being able to you know, truly walk the walk as a leader. It's been very good advice because it would be really easy not to want to wash the floors, wouldn't it? Definitely. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. It's interesting when you think about all the different components of your business and you know, when you delegate tasks to different people, you have to be willing to understand where they're coming from so that as a community or as an organization or as a team, you can then be better than you would be, you know, greater than the sum of your parts. Um, I love right. that. That's, that's awesome. So just going into, now that you brought up your team, I'm curious, in terms of the actual sales process of selling them and then taking it once you've gotten the sale to building and actually executing the campaigns, do you do all of that or what part do you own and then you know, do you have a team that does different parts? Why don't you walk me through kind of the day-to-day -day at Toolbox and what different components do you do, do they do? We have a business development team, myself, Joe Chabatoni and Katie Dement and we are always constantly out there looking for new business and oh, my secret, my secret gun is a, a guy named Ken Thompson who's been in the marketing business for 40 years, retired wanted something to do, so he's just been partnering with us to get us indoors. Once we get in the door, we're not selling a product. This is who we are. Tell us about your business. What's keeping you up at night? Learning and listening very closely to what's making it hard for our potential client to get their job done and seeing if there's an opportunity for us to partner with them and help them through that pain. So, you know, we're not going in selling, you know, a specific item or whatever, 
Um, it's really just about getting to know people and understanding what their goals and objectives are, what are their limitations, what, you know, what, what tools do they currently use and not use. And that's how we, we started. It's amazing when you just open up and say, you know, we'd like to visit about you, visit with you about your company. Tell us how we might be able to help you. What's what's your primary goal? What's making it hard to happen? And um, then they they just are very open and say, you know, we have a hard time, you know, recruiting new doctors for the hospital, or we have a hard time getting people to tour our model homes, or whatever it is. And then once they start talking about that, we look at all of the basic areas of marketing and see where there might be opportunity where we might be able to lend some help. And a lot of times, of course, there's budget constraints. And so we help them prioritize where can they get the biggest hit fast. It's all fine and good to say, well, we got to do one, two, three, four, and then we'll get a payout. But the reality is you still need to make payroll. So we help balance that by saying, you know, what can we do quickly to get a success under our belt? and help them to be able to move forward quicker and, and faster to the next priority that they need to do to make their marketing better. So it's really just about listening to them, hearing what they need, and seeing if there's an opportunity to partner. How much of the sales do you do yourself, Cece, versus you know, the other folks that you mentioned? I would say I spend 65% of my time a week just absolutely meeting people, networking, making calls, reaching out to people, hmm. and, and then trying to schedule appointments. But we work very collaboratively as a team inside our office. So sometimes Joe might get an appointment and we go together. But, you know, I, I'm very involved in it because I think people, especially with the, the clients we're trying to target, people feel good about having the leadership of the company in on the call. Mm -hmm. And they feel they feel like they're important to us by that, and so I and that's the part I love. I love meeting new people and learning about new businesses, and I think that's been one of the most exciting things about this work, is that you know for some people they really like to get um, let's just stay in one vertical market, like your previous gentleman that spoke on the podcast who was brilliant. You know he's uh, higher education. I like right. being able to cross over all different industries because it's it's a process. There's nuances in each industry, but there's still learnings that you can reapply in other industries that maybe when you're stuck in an industry, you don't think about. That's the part I like the most about it. And who are you typically selling to? What's the role of the individual that you're primarily engaging when you're talking to these organizations? I am always going towards the, the CMO, the CEO, the owners, the top decision makers, because what we're selling and what we're offering and what we're offering to our clients is not something that's, it's, it's not a quick sale. Sometimes it might take six, nine, 12 months to get in and understand them. And, and um, it's a big budget item. This is not a, um, you know, new web, new, uh, new campaigns, new, uh, you know, SEO work or whatever, or new brand. That's not a, a small investment. So you need to get somebody who's really thinking strategically about the business rather than someone who's just procuring print. I, I really always try to get to the top level. So a lot of people and a lot of listeners ask us, you know, how do, how do you guys price these campaigns? How do I do this? You know, so you're saying, I got to get to the people who are interested in strategy because the solutions that I'm offering are going to be helping with their challenges on a strategic level. And so it's not, like you said, just one part. Now, when you go in and you do price these campaigns, can you get some insight into how you do it? Is it a full program or, you know, walk, walk our listeners through um, the pricing sure. strategy behind it. Well, first of all, before we even start pricing, um, you know, of course I have a template that I try to follow, but really I look at a client and I see what their possible return on investment is. 
because what that campaign is really worth to them is how much money they can make off of it. So, for example, doing a cross-media campaign for someone that's selling pizzas, you have to sell a lot of pizzas to make up that return on investment. So that's not really an area I target. But when I look at a home builder who's building $500,000 homes, and if they sold one, they would be excited by remarketing to people that have gone through their model home, mm-hmm. then the price I adjust the price accordingly. However, I do have a base. It's not like I just I don't gouge them or anything, but there's got to be an investment that's worthy of what they're going to get on the return, but there's also a just a baseline that recoups my cost, our creative talent of who does all the graphic design, all the content, all of that, and then just the architecture of the campaign. So, you know, I, I, I really look at it um, specifically just campaign by campaign. We did a campaign with a home builder. They had no way of remarketing a systematized way, if I can say that right, of remarketing to people that had gone through their model homes. So now every week we started this and we, we had great success. Every week they just send us their database of people that went through their model homes. We do a complete personalized campaign to, you know, hey, Cece, thanks for visiting our home at, you know, ABC neighborhood and visiting with Bob, the salesperson. And those go out within about 24 hours. And they sold three homes, $1.5 million in homes. Static. Wow. It is their ongoing way now of remarketing to people that have gone through their model homes. And so, you know, the value of that campaign to them, it's not even a discussion point anymore what it, what it costs because they know it's going to work. Yeah, I have a multi-part question. A couple, a couple of things you said that really piqued my interest. So I'm wondering, you know, you gave the example of the, the pizza shop versus the home builder and the economics working far better in the case of the home builder than the $10 pizza scenario. And so what I'm wondering is as you go out and try to acquire new customers, are you building or do you have a process of building a targeted list of accounts or types of companies that you want to go after that you're looking at those dynamics in and then doing cold calling into in order to generate demand? Well, you know, when you're in sales and you're in business development, you have to use every avenue that you can. So, for example, I'm in a part of a lot of tr- uh, associations here in San Antonio, you know, the Chamber and, and uh, Paseo del Rio Association and all of that. And so as I meet people, I start collecting their names and creating a database, you know, met them at this mixer or whatever. And so I'm able to take, that's kind of a cold call, you know, I, I usually link in with them and then um, we have a campaign, we do our own, you know, we practice what we preach, we do our own campaigns, our self-promotion campaigns, but the way that we do it is, um, we just did one for Christmas and for the holidays where we sent out um, um, a, a real simple campaign asking people what their goals, business goals were for 2016 and, you know, did the whole personalized thing and and we, we, we team sell it with SmithPrint, our other company that does the printing of it. So people might say, I just need to talk to somebody about printing or they might say, I need a new website. And so we use that as a lead generation for us, but we funnel all of our contacts. It could be clients we're currently working with, or it could be people we've just met, or sometimes we buy a list and we just, you know, we send out more of a generic campaign because we know very little about them. But at the same time, we we use um, a lot of different avenues to get the data. And that's what I think is so great about these kind of campaigns is it doesn't just have to be one kind of database, you know, like, you know, this database. You can mix them all in together and that's why it's so great to be able to do variable print because you can have a list of people that you met one time, you can have a prospect list that you bought, and you could have your current 
clients and every piece on that campaign could be a variable. Different content, different image, all of it. So that's how we do it. And you know, it's just it's a lot of gathering data and, and putting it in a streamlined way that we are able to reapply it through, you know, our, our own marketing efforts. And we you know, we have social media. We're very active on social media, we're very active on LinkedIn. Um, we have a great website. We use SEO um, on our own website and for Smithprint. And uh, but we also do you know campaigns. So. And you mentioned in your uh, previous answer that you have a I think you said a base number. And if our listeners recall in the last podcast, Mike Westner talked about his magic number being fifty thousand. In other words, the number where you know below fifty thousand doesn't really make sense. He can't bring the players to the table and bring the resources to the table that he needs. So. Did I hear you correctly in saying you also have a base number? And if so, would you be willing to share what that number is, just just so we have a sense uh, for kind of where you play? Sure, sure. Well, I, I'll tell you. Um, he he, his market's different because he's going to big schools and they're doing mass mailings, and it's, mm -hmm. it's a much bigger campaign. I do campaigns, some as small as 250 people, but very very personalized. Okay. But really, for us, if it's if it doesn't fall between 20 or 25 thousand dollars. We don't do it, and we've got it. I don't know how. I bet. I bet we've done over. It, but but literally, most of we don't do fifty thousand typically, or we don't do one hundred fifty thousand people. Our market is a little smaller, and I'm not sure where he's at. I, I think he's in North Carolina. But um, the clients that I'm working with are a little bit smaller, so they may only have, like for example, the home builder. They might only have twenty five leads every week. But those leads mean a lot more to them, and they're and I yeah, the value. really believe what yes, I really I liked what he said when he said it's not about response rate; it's about really good qualified leads. And if you do a campaign right, when they come in, they are very qualified, and um, your closure rate and your opportunity to convert them is so much greater. So, you know, if it's pretty much twenty to twenty-five thousand, but those are not like I said, might be just a thousand names, but the the client sees the value in that. Winning one customer to them or getting one more person on board means so much to their revenue and their business that you know the, it's really not about the quantity; it's about the quality of those. So that's interesting. It's a good parallel between you and what Mike said. It's both of you are both um, honing in on the fact that the quality is really the most important part. Well, and I think the other thing that a campaign does that. I didn't even think about when we first started doing this was that it gives great feedback back to the client about, okay, you had 120 leads and these were hot leads that came in and said, yes, have somebody call me and you weren't able to close one. Why? And then you start mm -hmm. digging down deep and helping them analyze their business and, and they realize very quickly it's, it's maybe not their brand, it's not their product, it may be the person answering the phone. And so when you're able to help them identify those issues that's really causing them not to be able to generate revenue, you're a business consultant then. You're not a marketer. You're a business consultant. Yeah. So Cece, you mentioned the twenty dollars to $25,000, and I'm wondering if you can peel that back a little bit for us. A lot of our listeners wonder how their peers price campaigns. And so I'm, I'm thinking specifically of like the work you do in, in Toolbox uh, Studios there. If you have a customer, and let's say it's a $25,000 engagement, is there a portion of that that is uh, upfront for kind of the, the the initial strategy and setup of the the marketing campaign and all of its components? And is there then a monthly or a quarterly retainer or some sort of fee like that? How do you how do you construct that? 
Yes to all of that. <laughs> we never okay. start a campaign until we get 50% deposit up front. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because that for, makes them really commit. Because I don't want to go down and start doing the creative and start doing the architecture and all of the design and all of the thought, the, the strategy behind a campaign without them being committed. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. Then I require the other 50% before we mail anything or before we launch anything. Because once Got it's it. launched, it's gone. So then, so those are for like a 90-day campaign. But now with Studio, we are we are working on now that this is the way we do our business, and here's your monthly fee for it, and here's what it's cost, and here's how we use it, and it's just becoming ongoing how we do that. And it's 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 a retainer typically. It really depends on the campaign. It depends on the client and what they're trying to accomplish with each campaign. Cool. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned something else that was interesting there. You said that when you when you first started offering some of these campaigns. You know, there was a there was an angle that you didn't realize you kind of had that you could explore with your customer, and so I'm I'm wondering if you can like take us back to, I don't know what year it would have been, maybe like 2010 or somewhere in that in that range where you started to realize that you could offer these types of multi-channel or cross-media campaigns. What was going on with you at that time and with your business and with your clients that kind of brought you to that realization? Can you just take us back in time and? Kind of give us a view through your eyes as to what you were seeing that allowed you to connect those dots as to, hey, this is something that we should we should look into and start offering. That was a complicated question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take a shot at it. <laughs> I think whenever we entered into the digital market, you know, everybody's like, oh, we, we don't do print anymore. We're just gonna do email blast, right? Remember that pendulum swing? And then sure. um, and then everybody realized, oh wow, that's not really gonna work completely. And then and then all this technology that was happening, you know social media and smartphones and you know just so many different ways that people can get data and get information about products or services or companies or what have you. And so all of that was kind of coming together. And then from a printer standpoint, there was all this, you know, oh, you can go to you know this online company who which remain anonymous and they can print your business cards for $9.99. Right? So we had this competitive edge as well from online printers that were doing big batch and gang runs that made it very hard for us to compete. But in all of that, all of this looked like easy marketing, cheap ways of doing print. In all of that, when it finally came down to it, the marketing com the marketing people in charge of these companies realized they weren't as effective as they were thought they were going to be. And so when they had that aha moment, we were there and ready that says, you know what? It's not about spraying and praying. It's not about, you know, doing a quarter of a million postcards and just pray something comes in. It's about targeting. It's about knowing your consumer. It's about knowing how to reach that consumer. It's about knowing where your consumer is getting their information. Are they on social media? Are they reading their direct mail? Are they reading a mag trade magazine? Are they listening to a, an iPod cast? You know, who, who knows? But understanding where they're at and making sure that you have visibility there and for, to bring them in and to make sure that they can interact with you. That was the big turning moment for me, was when I realized that it's not about these huge runs. It's about getting to the right consumer and speaking to them in the way that they want to be, have the information come to them in in the channel in which they they preferred. And I mean, let's face it, our society is all about I want it my way, right? And mm -hmm. if you if you try to force them to go a certain way, you're not gonna you're not gonna get them to go. So it was it was all of that that kind of launched us into this, and I just feel like I was just very lucky 
to be able to see all that come together and with the help of you know, people like yourself at Mindfire and HP and, and our different partners that we partner with to be able to launch into that quicker than you know, some of our competitors. So. Yeah, you know, I have a I have a follow-up question. I've heard you say, you know, a lot about how you provide strategy and uh, give your customers more than just the leads. And so I'm interested about all that data that you collect about people. Um, I know you said you pinpoint, like, hey, maybe this is the area, you peel back layers and say, hey, maybe this is the area where there's a disconnect between your leads and your sales or whatever it is. So mm -hmm. what what kind of data do you give them? Do people typically just want the leads or do they want the insight? What are your customers asking for you after you or while you run these campaigns for them? Well, it's funny you say that because the very first time we did a campaign, um, we realized, you know, I just assumed that if we gave them a lead that they would follow up on it. I know that's a crazy notion, but I just assume that. <laughs> yeah. And so I quickly learned, I quickly learned that it's not necessarily their marketing that's not working. It's their people being able to interact with the client, the potential client, and closing that deal. So what we enacted very early on, probably after maybe our 10th campaign, we enacted a process where we actually go in and we meet with all the internal staff who's going to, in some way, if they have any way of connecting with a potential client, that they're aware of what the campaign is, what they're supposed to do, what's going on, and train them on, okay, so when this happens and you get this lead, here's what you're supposed to do, and outline that process and train them on sales and how to close. It's amazing to me. That has become a new tool in our toolbox. Is sales training. Hmm. What do you call that? Is there? A, do you have an, even just like an internal name for that? What is that? What is that process called? We just call it training. Training your staff or onboarding your staff. I mean, the worst thing that you can have, and you can have this beautiful campaign, and somebody calls up and says, "Hey, I got this postcard in the mail, and I wanted to talk to somebody about this special offer." And they go, "I don't know about any postcard. I don't know." What oh, you're, I mean, that, that could that that would be your nightmare, right? Oh yeah. And so yikes. So from so from everybody that's answering the phones, and we even incorporate a call tracking number so that we can record as people are calling in, so we can coach people on. Okay, well, when you answer the phone, you you speak too fast, or you speak to you're you're too quiet, or why didn't you ask the client's name or the potential client's name? Um, so we actually use it as a tool that we kind of it's a, it's a, it's an extra benefit that it's wrapped in there somewhere in the price, but. It's a huge feedback mechanism to the owner or the CMO or the sales manager or whatever of why they're not closing leads or why they are closing leads. And it's, it's a and great at, feedback tool. Yeah, and at the end of the day, their success means your success as well. So you're enabling them to be successful, you know, allowing your campaigns yeah. to... I Because mean, you can do everything you can, like you said, but at the end of the day, if they're not taking over and that handoff isn't smooth or someone isn't properly following up, then that's going to you know, mean nothing at the end of the day. Right, exactly, because guess what? I want to do another campaign with them. And if it's not successful, who are they going to blame? Me. Mm -hmm. So through all of this, I've, I've not yet once had a client where, it, you know, if the campaign was okay, where they didn't follow up properly, they always took ownership. It wasn't, it wasn't you guys, see, so it was my staff. It was this, they always take ownership because I can prove it. I can say, well, let's listen to some phone calls or, did anybody follow up? And, and we very actively engage the people who are doing the leads. And we're right there. Hey, you got a lead. Is anybody following up? Any luck with it? Tell us how you did. Because we're trying to capture, you know, what, what they were able to convert to sales because we want to measure it. We want to measure it. And um, because we know that it, when we measure it, we're able to prove that we're successful. And so I'm wondering, once you 
kind of decided to you know look at the world differently and start to make these investments in, in digital technology. How did you get other people to join you? And specifically, I mean other people in your organization, your employees and, and your staff, your team members. How did you get them on board with this new direction? I think it really comes down to culturally in your organization. If you sell it like a print job, it's going to be a print job. But I started when, while well, I was still at Smith Print, and I would talk to our staff, and we would tell them about where we were going and why we were buying the Indigo and what softwares we were using to do this cross-media marketing. And, and we talked to them about being more consultative and more um, marketing rather than just selling a print job. It was a mind shift for like our production crews saying, you know, I need 500 postcards. And they're like, 500 postcards? Why are we wasting our time? Well, because look, every single postcard is different, right? And helping them understand the value of that and that that was a very profitable print job. You can print 5,000 postcards and have, you know make 2% or you can print 500 to make 50%. Which one do you want? And so quickly our organization understood the importance of variable. They understood, um, you know, in, from the production standpoint, the importance of being careful and mindful of it, that it's not just, you know, load in the paper and let it run. Um, and then it, it it really, it was just a matter of us showing the strategy of as we're adding new equipment that we're changing the way we're doing business. And um, our, our team really embraced it. They really did. They thought it was fun. They thought it was interesting. It was new to them. Um, but the biggest thing I think was the biggest mind shift was, and at the time it was just my husband and I selling. And, and he jumped right on board. It was a new story that we could tell people about a different way of doing print and marketing. And we got in there and we talked about innovative things. We talked about new things. It wasn't just about the price of a job. It was about how we were going to grow their business and how we were going to get a better response rate and, and how we could use variable print to target their consumers. We went in there adding value and if letting them think differently. We were no longer selling print. We were selling a solution to them. And I know that that, that goes around a lot, but it's a mind shift change. And I think as I talk with a lot of printers around the country through DScoop and through different organizations that I'm in, their biggest frustration with their sales team is that they still want to sell, sell it like a print job. Oh, yeah, and definitely. I, and I always go back to the owner and I say, how are you measuring them? Because you're probably measuring them on sales. And if they can sell $500 in print or $5,000 in print, which one are they going to go for? Right? So it goes back mm -hmm. to, as a leader, how you're going to measure your salespeople and help them understand maybe you should measure them on profitability of their job opposed to sales revenue. I don't know what the right answer is. Every business has their own idea, but it's all you get what you measure, right? You get what you measure. So what do you do, Cece? Do, do, do you measure them on profitability and then they're commissioned based on the profitability, or how do you structure that? Well, and, uh, and I'm speaking now for Smithprint, which is, you know, my husband manages that, but we now, we're yeah. a family-owned business, so it's a little bit different um, and because, you know, we have, a, we have a personal stake. However, we do have salespeople, and we do do commissions, and we, we um, like, for example, our, our, our print salespeople go out, and they know how to sell cross-media marketing, and so what they do is if they introduce me to somebody who's interested in it, and I get a call from them, they get a, a percentage of the of the profit of that job, so okay. they're they're okay. selling that service. So it's it's kind of different because we have two different companies. But I think the same thing can work in a printing company. If they sell a cross media campaign, if they get a certain percentage of the profit of that job, it makes them look at it differently rather than it's just I'm just printing postcards. So so, so let me just make sure I understand correctly. Since you have the situation here where you have toolbox on one side and Smith mm -hmm. Print on the other, 
when, when one of your print sales reps um, on the Smith print side comes across an opportunity, they kind of make a warm handoff to you. Am I understanding you so far correctly? Okay. And, and we then do, and we do the same thing backwards. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Need a when you find print opportunities, yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then, yep. so then, once they have CC involved, you get engaged. You look for the pain and identify what you know kind of problems they have that you can help solve. And then let's say they do engage with you. At the end of the engagement, you go back and look at your profitability for that specific engagement, and then the sales rate gets commissioned based on the profit. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Fascinating. And, and they love it because it's a different story. It's something different that they can sell. It's not just going in, and it's not just you know being the bottom line price. Mm -hmm. It takes price out of the equation. Mm -hmm. And then once, once you get trust on something like a cross-media campaign, print just comes natural. I mean, they respect you. They understand that you're different than any other print salesperson. Oh, yeah, by the way, I need this printing. Can you take care of it? Sure. I mean, it just becomes secondary that they give you their print business. I did not expect that. I was going out selling campaigns. I did not expect that that would help my offset printing. That I didn't think that it would be that transition, but it was because they see you differently. They don't see you as just a commodity that you're selling. And then yeah, so that just becomes sort of included. It's like obviously we're going to use you for print because that's right. one of the one of the pieces of this larger com, you know strategy and larger program that you're offering for them. You're offering right. them, right? And so think about think about um, you know when you're doing a campaign and and they're going to do it at a trade show. Okay, well they need the postcards to pre you know to pre-sell the people to come to their booth. And then oh guess what they need a booth. And oh guess what they they want to update their website or okay, you know I mean it's just it it just snowballs um, into a lot more than just a print job. Using the calendar year as a, as a turning point, we just entered a new year. Looking ahead, what do you see yourself struggling with the most? What's your, your biggest challenge? You know, the thing that you're thinking about um, at night or on the weekends that you're trying to solve and, and come to some sort of conclusion? Hmm. I, I think probably, um, and this may just be market specific, I, I don't know, but I think people still think of marketing as siloed. Okay, I've got print and I've got a, an advertisement in a magazine and I've got a, you know, it's, it's, tactic, it's tactics rather than a plan. And I, I think the big outage is, is that, you know, everybody's, for example, I, I need to get on social media. My first question is, why do you think you need to get on social media? Well, because everybody says I should be on social media. I said, well, what are you trying to accomplish by being on social media and helping them think through. I think a lot of people are so busy in business that they, they, you know, they read an article. Oh, you should be on social media. And I, I tell my clients, you know what? You may just need to be on Twitter, or maybe just LinkedIn is right for you. Maybe just Facebook. I think one of the things that I find that we're constantly having to re-educate or educate, I should say, our potential clients or our clients is how fast technology is changing. You know how Google indexes a website for SEO. How does how does the consumer, um, how do they want their data? How, you know, how, how do you uh, engage them um, through print or through a postcard or through a banner or a banner ad or a tweet? Or, and, and, and helping them understand that that can all be coordinated. It, 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 because there's so many different ways to touch a consumer or a, a potential client, it becomes overwhelming. So they just they gravitate to what's easy and what they've known, and so mm -hmm. for for us, we're we're developing an arsenal of of 
good articles or things like that that when people say, well, I don't really know what SEO is or I don't really understand what you mean by um, a pearl or whatever, I'm able to send them something very quickly that helps educate them in that technology. And when I do that, they begin to trust me. And it's not a paper written about me that I'm trying to sell my goods. It's an article that I read in you know, a marketing magazine or through a trade magazine or whatever of somebody unrelated. And I just share that. And when I'm able to help them understand that without them making, making them feel like they're uninformed, they really value that because there's yeah. so much to keep up on. I was just going to ask then, how do you stay up on the latest technology or latest trends? Well, I practice what I preach. I engage in social media. I, I love the way LinkedIn's redone their thing. I love it. It's just so much easier to read. I try to read as much as I can. I listen to a lot of books on tape. I'm an audio learner. I don't, I, when I start reading, I fall asleep. So if it's a short paragraph, I can do it. But if I need to read a book, I listen to it. So I use my time. We're just continuously learning about what's going on. But I'm surrounded by experts in the industries of web and SEO and content management and social media. And I learn through them. And I let them help me sell this information, share this information with our clients. And I learn at the same time. But it's also going to trade show conferences, and it's also, you know, engaging in, in, in asking people, you know, that you know are experts. Tell me, you know, I don't get that. Help me understand that. For background for listeners, we actually met Cece at a trade show. Where were you um, at that trade show time when we had met mm -hmm. you? What was your goal there? Yeah, my, we had just bought an Indigo. And um, when I saw how it could do variable print, I got all excited. And, but my first thing was, well, how do you do that? How how you know, you can't design, you know, 5,000 postcards individually. I had no idea of the automation, and I had no idea of how to do any of that. I mean, I was clueless. All that I know is that we bought an Indigo. That's all I knew. <laughs> and so when I came to G-Scoop, um, it was there where listening to the different speakers, Joe Manis and, and people from your organization, teach me about these things. And actually, I, of course, went through the campaign, and I was it was perfect. That's what sold me was your guys' campaign on getting me to the to your booth that day. I was like, this is cool. I've never experienced something like this, and we can we can utilize this with our clients. And that's when I realized, wow, there's a lot of different ways of using this indigo. It's not just to do short runs. And that's that's where doing 500 static cards is not very profitable. It's not bad on an indigo anyway, but when you do a variable of 500 cards, it's extremely profitable. So it, it was it was at that trade show that I really was just blown away by the by what you could do, and that's where it started. That's cool. I love that. That's, that's awesome. I was yeah, go ahead. I tell your story about how your campaign got me to your booth, and how uh -huh. Mackenzie called me, and and all, and people, I said it's true. I'm not lying to you. This is really what happened. And <laughs> then I put them through a similar. I'll campaign. never forget that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was it was incredible. And, and so that's what sold me, but it was is the opportunity to learn a different way of thinking. You see, I'm curious, what is something that you believe to be true that you think most people don't? I thought about that question. I thought about that, mm -hmm. and, and um, it's a little bit more philosophical, and I really truly believe that 99.9% .9 of the people in the world are good hmm. and honest, and, and their intentions are good. I think we all have moments where we fail, but deep down inside, I really believe that people want to do the right thing. I think a lot of people have become so scarred by what's going on in the world that they just believe that everybody is bad, but there are so many wonderful people. 
I would rather live my life believing that most people are good and take the chance of finding out otherwise than to live my life thinking that everybody is bad. And I just think so many people in this world think that people aren't what they seem and that people are not true or sincere or genuine. And I just really think that in the deep, deep recesses of our, of our, who we are as human beings, that people are good. I, I wish more people felt that way because I think there'd be a lot more collaboration and happiness and joy when you work if you just believe that everybody's intentions are right. It seems like you carry that positive attitude and intention uh, throughout your organization in the relationships you have with your customers. I mean, I will absolutely never forget when you walked up to our booth, I still remember vividly you had a big smile. You were just like a ray of sunshine. And it just carries, no, it's true. And it just it just carries through. That's just who you are at your core, you know, and, and you saying that belief about what you believe in people. And I think that's what, that's your edge, you know, that's what makes you who you are. That's what gives you the sunshine that you bring into any space. And that's what makes people want to work for you and work with you. And I love that. That's really inspiring. Um, I'm curious. So I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to now get in contact with you. Um, is there a blog or a website, email? How, would, how can people get in contact with you directly? Just go to toolboxstudios.com. And um, I'm on LinkedIn, CC Smith, Toolbox Studios. Um, any any way they can contact you or they can however i i love i love meeting new people and i love um just getting to know people so um if anybody wants to talk to me and um about any of this cross media i as you guys know i talk to a lot of people about it because i truly believe in it and um it's been a blast i love my work you know if you're going to have to work you might as well enjoy it <laughs> And D-Scoop is in San Antonio this year, so yes, it uh, is. it's right around the yes, corner from is. you, so that'll be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having you guys here. When, um, one of the neat things is, is we um, are the branding company for Alamo Beer, which is our local craft beer, and we just happen to have a keg on tap for research in our office, so you guys <laughs> might need to stop by our office and see us. So. Good R&D. <laughs> there you go. That's good. You, know, you never, never get, never get lazy. <laughs> That's cool. Thank you, Cece. And you know, Mackenzie, you were um, talking about how authentic and, and real Cece is, and I had completely forgotten this. Cece, I don't know if you remember this, but at one of the shows where we met, I can't remember where it was. I'm sure it was at a D scoop somewhere. Cece, I sat down and talked to you, and you were just sharing with me about your business and what you do and what you wanted to do and how excited you were and, and a lot of different things. Uh, maybe you, re you recall the conversation. And mm -hmm. I remember becoming emotional, which sounds odd. You know, we're talking about business here. But I remember becoming emotional and actually, like, tearing up a little bit because what, what you were saying reminded me at my core why we do what we do, why I get out of bed in the morning and why we, you know, do this work that we do on a daily basis. And it was just... It was a it was a moment that I guess I had forgotten until McKinsey mentioned it, but it certainly made an impact on me at that time. Just your passion and how much of that came through in what you were saying, and and how refreshing it was to actually be with somebody who 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 you know gave off that spirit and had that had that feeling. Well, it feels good when you know that what you guys are trying to accomplish was accomplished. I mean, I know that there's people that probably work with you guys and they're not having the same success. And that's got to be frustrating for you guys because you feel like, wow, what did, what did we do wrong? How can we help them? Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's, it's anytime you see where you've worked with someone and they've thrived from your interaction, that is so rewarding. And that's, yep, it is. that's the relationship we have. And so it's, it's mutual and it's, it's, it's sincere. It truly is. And, and cool. um, so I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you two today and I look forward to having you in San Antonio. 
All right. We'll see you soon then. Thank you so much, Cece. It's, it's been a real blast, a real pleasure. Thank you for, for honoring us with your time. No, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for staying through the entirety of this conversation we have with CC. We hope that you were able to, as listeners, gain a lot of valuable information that you can go and now take and apply to your businesses. Throughout the episode, she did mention a lot of resources, which I'd like to highlight really quickly. One of them was DScoop. Um, that's one of our favorite trade shows we go to this year. It's going to be in San Antonio, so go check that out. Also, the presses and equipment that she mentioned, uh, one was Heidelberg. And then one of them was HP. I know she mentioned um, the Indigo to be specific. And we're, of course, going to be putting that information in our blog. So if you head over to our blog, you'll be able to see in the show notes um, some links to those sites. So you can go check that out. Uh, speaking of our blog, we've been having some people comment. We're really excited about it. So I just want to give a little shout out to Rick and then Mike, the speaker from our last session. They've actually been sort of communicating through our blog, which is really nice to see. And then also we had another visitor recently, Tamar, who's been active on our blog. So thank you guys. Um, we're really excited. The more you interact with us, the more feedback we get and the better content we can bring you. So please head over to our blog and don't forget that we will be giving away uh, weekly drawing prizes. So head over there and communicate with us. Yeah, Mackenzie, you mentioned DScoop as a trade show that's coming up. And we're wondering, folks, are you headed to DScoop? If you are, we'd love to talk to you there. We're going to be doing some on-site interviews and trying to take in the, the uh, excitement that is DScoop and bring that to you, our listeners, as well. So uh, we'd love to know if you're going to be there. Before DScoop in March, we're actually also headed to Vegas. Yeah, baby. What happens in Vegas may not actually stay in Vegas this time. So listeners, we're going to be coming to you from LeedsCon with some interviews and some show content. So you won't be uh, missing out on the opportunity to hear what happened in Vegas if you don't get a chance to be there. We'd love to know if you're going to be at LeedsCon. I think it's around the 15th of March, McKenzie, if I'm not mistaken. We'd love to know if you're going to be there as well and have a chance to meet you. That would be wonderful. So until then, we'll see you next week and have a great rest of the day. Bye-bye.